Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. What's up, guys? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Um, got a guest on the show today for anyone who has been a long-time listener of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Um, you would have heard our first episode, um, but we thought we'd, we'd catch back up today, um, go over a bit more than what we did last time and dive into it again. So today I'm joined by Lenny Redrose. So Lenny, welcome to the show, brother. Lenny Redrose. Yep, Rose. Not as pretty as a, not as pretty as a rose, but nah. th- you'll do. Um, <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> mate, where do we start? Um, I think the feedback I got from our first conversation was so great and I, and um, I knew it would be because your story is super inspiring and it, it includes a lot of shit and it's mm. um there's a lot to unpack so like I said I, I wanted to kind of revisit it today and we can dive into a bit more detail um, for those that are listening or watching um, you know I met Lenny I think it was around three years ago now we started training together two to three years just before Easy, the yeah, first yeah. year of lockdown I think it was um, uh Lenny is in a wheelchair. He came to me looking to, to get in, um, in in better shape and, and strengthen up a bit and to help with transitions in and out of the chair. At that point, he was relatively fresh to being in the chair, which we'll, we'll touch on soon. Um, since then, he's gone on to just absolutely crush it in terms of building up his strength and mobility and um, competitively in sport and, and whatnot as well, which we'll obviously touch on as well. So there's heaps unpacked, mate. Um, what, let's start at uh, back when you were an absolute prodigy in soccer. Tell us a bit about um, the early days of your kind of like athletic career and, and yeah, where so where that kind of started and then we can kind of go from there. Yeah, being a wog, I played soccer. So um, it was just straight up like just, you know, soccer, soccer, soccer with, you know, my dad playing as well. So I was always going to his games and whatnot. But around, I don't know, I'd say like 10 years old, I went from, you know, living in, Glenroy moved to Laylor and Thomastown um, Zebras was a soccer club back then. So, you know, gone there as a 10-year-old saying, hey, you know, to the coach, can I train? And he's like, oh, we've got enough players. So I've gone and told my dad. My dad's like, go back and tell him you want to train. I'm like, oh, I want to train. He's like, we've got enough players. Went back to my dad. My dad's like, tell him that you want to train. I'm like, can I train? You know, let me train. And my dad's like, if you don't like him, just tell him at the end of the session. I ended up becoming captain of the club. Um, so it was, you know, that... At 10? At yeah, for the for, for, for the under tens. Oh right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not for the Jeez. <laughs> um, yes. better than what I fucking expected. Yeah. Tough, man. You got kicked like a champion. Yeah. Um. So yeah, from there, it like it kind of not that I realised then, but you know, not taking no for an answer was something that my dad was always trying to instill in me. So as that kind of progressed, that fifteen, I got a full scholarship at the Victorian Institute of Sport for soccer, and you know, at that point in my life, I was living in Broadie. Um, Trouble kid, you know, getting into fights and just you know doing stupid shit, as as you know as I did, and it kind of like the way I played my soccer was literally how I lived on the street, or well, not on the street, but you know how I lived my life, mm. where we trained on astroturf, like on a, on a hockey pitch, so it's concrete with sand, like rough, rough as it. I'll do like slide tackles, just going absolutely like mental, and Ernie Merrick was like, "What are you doing, mate?" I'm like, "I want the ball." He's like, "It's going out." I said, "Until it goes out, I'm chasing it." I want that ball. And he's like, I've never seen anybody like it. Mm. Um, yeah, so from there, that was, you know, obviously a, a massive, uh, you know, high at that age in my life. And then um, from there went and played um, with Whittlesey 
and then went to South Melbourne, who was in the NSL, um, playing in the national youth. Got um, NSL. So what? So that's so the equivalent of A League now. So I was playing in the national youth back then for an NSL club, and nice. for Whittlesea. So Whittlesea has been the only club ever that wasn't an, a national league club to to win the title, and that was the season that I was playing there, scoring like thirty goals a season, like pretty. Personally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pr- like pretty good on my end. I was doing really well. Had good, really good players around me, um, and yeah, and then the demise started happening when I, uh, you know, got stuck into the drugs and you know, started fucking up on a regular basis. What age was that? Probably about nineteen. Nineteen. I would have probably had my first drug about eighteen, nineteen, but nineteen, twenty started getting really, um, you know, pretty bad. Mm. And if you're happy to, to yeah, touch yeah, on it, like what what type of drugs were you using? Uh, look, in the beginning, it started with you know pills, coke, ice, and you know, by the end of it, which will same same thing going to like I was struggle with ice for nearly twelve years. Yeah, um, you know it's been this September will be four years clean from from that shit. So it's been yeah the journey's been epic, man. Yeah, right. So I remember you, you and I had a uh, we were chatting. I think it might have been last year sometime. We kind of just dived into the whole soccer stuff and. Um, and obviously with the drugs involved as well. Like, I'm assuming, considering you, you were playing still at such a high level, you were relatively or highly functioning while well, using. Yeah, yeah, I've got ADHD. I got diagnosed a few years ago. And I guess one of the positives of ADHD and smoking ice is that it actually calms you down. So, you know, it would be, like, I'd go out and people are like, oh, fuck, you're high as hell. I'm like, no, nah, man, like, I'm drunk. So I'd, I'd have the, like, the complete reverse when I would take drugs, I would calm down, I'd really, like, you know, become placid, where right. if I was drinking, I'd be a fucking mental case. Interesting. So at that point, you're playing in the, what was it, in so, yeah, it's NSL? Yeah, so the National, National Youth League. Yep. And then um, started to, to obviously get into the drugs off-field. Um, how long did that kind of like period where you were playing at a high level and using last? And then I guess what was like the next kind of yeah, chapter yeah. from there? Yeah, it was pretty quick. Um, so the, the NSL closed when I was about 19 years old. Um, so from there, obviously, all the plays from the NSL, all the seniors flooded into the Premier League, which obviously made the Premier League fantastic and a lot harder to get into. Uh, so in that period there was, you know, trying, trying my best to, you know, to get through. Couldn't really break in. So, you know, I signed a stupid contract with another club for the season after, which is purely based around money. Um, and then I lost the love of the game. I'd be partying, like got really stuck in, out of control, couldn't control my consumption, couldn't stay home on a Friday or a Saturday night before a game. It was just, it just went backwards really quick. And seeing myself go down that quick, it was just like, you know what, fuck it. What's the point? Just keep, you know, I mean, I went to a lower league, same thing for money and just keep partying. So the, yeah, the downhill spiral was pretty quick, pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty shit. Was there, so you said it, that kind of lasted like the actual drug use and obviously extended over a longer period of time, yep. 12 years, and then now you've been clean from it for the last four. Was there any point in the earlier days where um, anyone come to sp- come to speak to you or whether you even just, you know, thought about it yourself in terms of like, hang on, I need to kind of pull myself back in line here or, or, yeah, or sure. need some form of help <coughs> if I, you know, I've pretty much got the decision of whether I make the most of my life and my career as yep. a soccer player and, and just as a person in general or... If I keep going down this path, this is going to keep spiraling out of control. So, was there any point where you tried to get off it in the early days? Yeah, so it's funny. I got a, I got one of the iPhones. I think last year, like one of the iPhone twelve, whatever it was. And um, so I was just re-downloading all the apps. So I was going through like the whole list, and I think it was like two thousand and nine or whatever it was. I can't remember exactly, but it was a good 
good, you know, 10, 10 years ago from when I, um, from last year, and it was just like, and it was all drug apps, how to get clean, how to stay clean and whatnot. So I was like, I, I realised quite early that I was, you know, I was, I was in a really bad place, but um, same thing, like, you know, when you're strung out and addicted to a drug, the instant you stop taking it, you just go to sleep and you, you know, I mean, you, yeah, you've got no energy and whatnot. So it was just like a double-edged sort of do the drugs, go to work, not right. do the drugs. So you'd got to the point where it was just like how you'd function yeah. with it, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't, we won't spend like a great deal of yeah. time talking about the drugs, obviously, but I just do want to ask one more thing about it because a lot of people listening or watching, like, the, you know, you probably, they would hear about the drug ice often like over and over and over again um, in heaps of people's downfalls or yeah. down spirals or whatever. Um, what actually, what is the effect of it in terms of like, when you are using, yeah. what is it that kind of, because by the sounds of it and, and from, from what I've kind of seen and heard with so many people, it's like once people get on it, it's almost impossible to get off it. Yeah, it's hard. Look, I, you know, the wheelchair came into my life, you know, five and a half years ago and that was, you know, I was still smoking for maybe two years into the chair. Okay. And then I, I had the switch, you know, where for years I was looking for it. For me, the big thing was I could function on it. So I could literally, you know, go to bed at a normal time, wake up at a normal time, work normal time, have dinner, do everything. Sleep on it and everything. Uh, normal, man. Completely shit. normal. Where you know, I'm, I was a high-functioning addict, which mm. is the worst type because you get away with so much shit yeah. that, you know, I mean, people don't even know that, that you're that fucked up. Yeah. Now, moving on, um, you eventually went, uh, went into the army, was it? Correct. Army, yeah. So what year was like, how old were you when you enrolled in the army and how long did that kind of period last? And give us a bit of a, an idea of kind of what your experience was like. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I joined the army pretty late. I was 26 years old. Um, I was very fortunate in uh, how it all turned out for me. So I went into uh, joint coordination. Was it was the purpose of joining the army to yeah. help get on track? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, to tr- get, yeah, get my life back on track. <coughs> so it um, yeah. So I went into joint joint movement coordination, which essentially is like natural disasters. So it would be you know our hierarchy would let's just you know use what happened with the floods. Like our hierarchy would go in, they would assess you know what's required, health, shelter, food, water, infrastructure, whatever it may be. Then us being the soldiers, we would go there and you know and deploy the whole lot. Um, the shit thing about that was you're waiting for something pretty crap to happen, but on the other side of it, um, you know, at the finished project, what you've put out and what you've done and what you've achieved, like, you know, you've impacted on people's mm. lives, like, directly, where, you know, we had never had weapons with us. It wasn't, you know, it's a different side of the military than you yeah. know, the whole Afghanistan and Iraq stuff. Yeah, because we, obviously, you and I were having a chat about it this morning in terms of how rewarding it was to, mm. you know, be in help or for those that, that really needed it at, at most yeah. likely the shittest time of their life. Oh, hell yeah, man. So what type of um, – are you able to give us a, a story or a bit of a memory yeah. in terms of, like, one of the things that really stood out to you in terms of being impactful? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, went, I was on two operations. Uh, the first one was when the floods happened out of Bundaberg. I okay. was literally, like, I don't know, three, four weeks into, like, getting put into my unit. So, like, really, you know, quick. That straight I got, into yeah, it, yeah. Straight into it. So I went out there for, I don't know, a couple of weeks, and it was literally, like, you're seeing along the river – like all the boats and whatnot, literally on top of houses, houses kilometers away from where they actually. There was a house on the freeway driving to Bundaberg. You're like, what the hell? What have we just <laughs> like? What have we just witnessed? Wow. Um, now you've seen that type of devastation. You know, old Queenslanders, which are you know pretty tall houses, the mud lines at the top of the roof. Like Shit. it's crazy. And you think about there's nothing around. So you're like, how does the water go that high? Like, wouldn't it just keep you know keep spreading and spreading? Mm. But when it happens so quick, you don't. I guess yeah, it's it's crazy. I would, you know, I mean. It, 
Yeah. There was a funny story about that. Obviously, Bundaberg's got the Bundaberg um, the brewery there, or the distillery, and you had more people there, like sandbanking around it, than there were <laughs> at their own places. At their own house. Yeah. <laughs> that's just a part of their... Um, that's, that's the icon, icon, iconic uh, place for you know, mm. Bundaberg. What would you say some of the lessons, I guess, you took away from the army in terms of things that you then instilled into your everyday life once you, yeah. you come back to normal, I guess, civilization and, and, and not being enrolled in it? Yeah. Was so there anything that really stood out that you really tried to adopt in your yeah, everyday for life? Sure. Like the other operation I went on was um, when the cyclone happened in the Philippines, cyclone uh, Haiyan, Haiyan, sorry. And so we're literally um, on an island that's been completely wiped away. And there's an airstrip, so you know we can get the smaller planes that we have to land there that can bring aid and shelter and food and water. <clears throat> and it was like you're in a mozzie net, you're working 16, 17 hours a day, no hot water, no hot food, no toilets, no laundry, no Wi-Fi, nothing. Like you're at bare minimum. And you know to to be out there for as long as we were, you know, really taught you back to basics there's not a lot that you actually need mm-hmm. to you know to function or you know to live your life where you know here we've got everything at our fingertips um and it was funny like my mum's from turkey mum and dad are from turkey and my mum's like a proper village chick and when i was um doing the laundry i say what yeah, a village chick like a village like she's from from a, like okay a village. yeah and um so he got a bucket that's got, you know, soapy water and then he got another bucket that's got clean water. So I was literally like, that's how you got to do your laundry. Yeah. And I was like, wow, man, this is like my, like my mum back in the village. Like, that's how she yeah, yeah. clothes. So it really, yeah, it, it taught me a lot. Perspective. Yeah, grateful for what you do have, you know what I mean, when you do have it, which same thing with the spinal cord injury, you know what I mean, I'm very grateful for my ability, abilities I do have, you know, not for the things I have lost. Yeah, man, look, when I talk to friends, clients, um, anyone whenever you come up in in conversation that's like probably the number one and like the first thing that i always say is that the thing that i find so impressive about you is is like your attitude towards just life in general and how grateful you are um your perspective on things and you know as we'll we'll get into now you know the the whole kind of story around the spinal cord um injury and whatnot is that like out of everyone i know like you would have to be at the top of the list of people who have every right to be resentful yeah. and, and go the complete opposite way and see everything from a negative lens, but it's the exact opposite. Yeah. So, man, fucking hats off to you. Nah, I think you appreciate it, man. You've, you've been in the military, you come back, um, and then did you – because you, you had a, um, a maintenance or landscaping business, yep, was it? property maintenance, yeah. Yeah, and so was that uh, active before you went into the Army? Or no, that, that was something no, you started once you got back? So yeah, kind I, of I came into a business that was already, uh, already open. Right, yeah. and so – you know, I want to I want to chat about the the spinal cord stuff. So, was it you were in the army at the time yep. when um, so kind had, of tell the listeners yeah. about, about so, that? So, um, 2014, I had back pain, and you know, my yeah, one one, one of the um, work colleagues, we were friends out of work. So, and he kind of knew that I'd you know get up to naughty stuff and fight and whatnot. He's like, look, if something's happened, because every time I'd cough, it's like you know I have a broken rib, and he's like, if you've been fighting or something, guys, go sort it out. You know in your own time type thing, so that way you don't get in trouble. I'm like, no, nah, I did nothing wrong, man. I, did, I have no idea what it is. Anyway, so I went and had x-rays, ultrasounds, MRIs, and uh, nothing was found. So anyway, I discharged from military a year later and, you know, I started working with the property maintenance company and then, you know, it became a whole lot more. And same thing, it was, I think it was January or February, I fainted on the job site. 
um, and I just like what the hell, like had no idea what happened, and um, yeah, so it from there it it was uh, yeah, the, like the pains had kind of gone away, and then once that happened, the pain started up again, like really really bad, and at this time I was abusing drugs purely to help with the pain and because of my addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, from there I went and saw every doctor but an actual GP to get an MRI. Like I went to a naturopath, went to a kinesiologist. And funny enough, when I was um, getting some Chinese medicine and cupping and uh, needling and whatnot, he um, he said, look, man, he goes, there's something really wrong with your back. I'm like, yeah, I know. Um, but like every time I'd see him, I'd be able to go for a run. I'm like, oh, just keep doing what you're doing. And he was doing wet cupping. So he would literally you know, cut my back up in the pre- like where it was, had the most pressure. Um, and But what was coming out of me was like, not blood, it was like toxic, yuck. Like I can't even explain to you like what was coming out of me. And I said right. to him, look, I'm an addict. He goes, this is nothing to do with addiction, man. He goes, you got something really wrong with you. Um, and he's like, look, you need to go get an MRI. I'm like, yeah, sweet. At the time I had, didn't have a GP. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, sweet, man. I went and saw him again a couple of days later. He goes, did you go? I said, nah. He goes, make sure you go. I'll go, I don't have a GP. And he's like, go see this bloke, no problem. A couple of days later I went, he's like, get the fuck out. <laughs> He goes, I'm not helping. He goes, I'm just, you know, I'm enabling you. He goes, go get the MRI. There's something wrong with you. I wasn't taking it serious. Mm. And that's when they found the 140 mil tumour inside my spinal cord. That's that's absolutely insane. So just to rewind quickly, so you a year around a year before you'd had a scan, was it? Or you'd, yeah, you'd had a checkup it and they'd been told it was all clear and there was nothing yeah. that you, there was anything to worry about. It was 2014 it was. And then tw- I literally had the scans 2016. Okay. Like to the date. So you get the you get the scan results. There's a, a tumor. There was a tumor yep. on or in the spine. In the spinal cord, yeah. In the spinal cord, right? So what's the process from there? Like, what what do you kind of get told from the doctors? What's the next yeah. steps? And what's your kind of um, what's your thought process? Or or um, yeah, like what's kind of running yeah. through your mind at that time? Yeah. So um, it was you know the options put forward were um, you know possibly to do radiotherapy to kind of monitor it. And the tumour was cancerous, was it? No, no, it was benign. No. Yeah, okay. I was fortunate for that. So right. it was, but at the time we didn't know because I had to do a biopsy. Once, yeah, they, yeah, once yeah. they opened me up and did a biopsy, they found out it was benign. Mm-hmm. But yeah, before that, it was, it was, yeah, it, it was said, look, surgery is the number one way that, you know, they deal with, you know, removing these tumours. It was like, all right, cool, no problem. And essentially it was like, you know, surgery Monday, home by Thursday, back at work in three weeks' time, you know, you carry on. Unfortunately for me, it didn't turn out that way. It was, um, you know, I spent three and a half weeks in ICU, had a massive drug overdose in hospital. Um, you know, I'd see the doctor, the neurosurgeon would come in, you know, quite frequently, like every couple of days type thing, and do a, like a pinprick test. So they'll start at your toe and they'll work up like your body until you can say, yeah, I feel it. And was this uh, post-surgery, was it expected that you would be quite numb through the yeah. lower body and back and whatnot initially until you kind of hit the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the information went down and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, they call the spinal cord shock, obviously. It's a very invasive surgery. So it was, you know, and that can take up to 12 weeks. And that's what was told. So, you know, 12 weeks obviously goes by. And um, from there I go to, I won't name the establishment, but I go to a rehab um, centre where, you know, I spend the next four months. And, you know, throughout that period there, it's literally like one hour of shared physio a day. And, you know, outside the ward is a ramp. So, you know, being early days, it's quite hard to, you know, have the strength to push up um, up the ramp. So you're literally stuck in the ward, not doing a lot. You know I mean, it's not not good for your mental health at no. all. Like it's, you know, you've just gone kind through... Kind of like being in lockdown, but oh, it's crap, man. factor in the yeah, fact yeah, that yeah. you've got this severe... Whole body, lot, yeah, 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 yeah. So then it was, um, it was uh, just 
honestly, what a shit place to be. Like, that's not it's not very – the people that were there – I was the only person who had spinal cord injury in the hospital. So then there's, like, no peers. There's no one else to talk to. Oh, hey, Danny, man, what would you do today? You know, da-da-da. Like, mm-hmm. there's no – you know, let's say you've been in the chair for a few months. There's nothing – there was no one there to talk to. No one to relate with. At yeah. all. At yeah. all, man. So it was a, a tough time, a very, very tough time. To some of the people that are listening that haven't heard our previous one or don't know you personally – don't really understand or know know this story so all the severity of like what yeah. you're kind of talking about so post-surgery they're, they're doing the pinprick test and whatnot like what were you kind of told after the surgery and like when when were you kind of told uh, the yeah. severity of what had actually happened during surgery yeah so same thing so my discharge report from um from the hospital was you know patient lenny red rose i won't name the hospital the date october 24 2016 complications nil in capital black bold writing um you know zero complications zero nothing nothing like you know i've walked into my surgery and i'm now i'm paralyzed from you know t4 i can feel my nipple and i just you know i mean and just under it i can't so yeah it that was the that was the case and you know as things kind of progressed my dad's like hey man like something's not right here i'm like well i don't know they're not panel beads like this is you know it's they're neurosurgeons they're the bees knees (laughs) what panel beads they're not panel beaters yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then um yeah, from there it was like, you know, we started doing a little bit of digging and seeing other neurosurgeons, you know, to get their advice on or second opinion on what they think happened. But as soon as I saw, you know, this dude's name, they're like, no, he's a great surgeon, he's a great surgeon. Oh, yeah, cool. So one of the other um, one of the other things I did when I saw, like, the one of the last neurosurgeons, which is, like, 12, 13 months post-surgery, was I blacked out the name of the hospital and the name of the surgeon. And I went there, I said, hey, man, da-da-da-da. And he's like, oh, who's this surgeon? I said, I'm not going to tell you. I just want you to read what's on that paper and what my symptoms are. Um, and he's like, yeah, cool. So he's reading through and he's like, shit, man. He goes, um, he goes, don't speak to anybody else in Victoria. No one's going to help you. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, um, he goes, speak to this uh, neurosurgeon in New South Wales. He'll see what I'm seeing. I'm like, what are you seeing? He's like, you've got paraplegia. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I'm like, what are you talking about? This is 13 months post-surgery. Like, I, have never, I haven't been told from my surgeon that this is the end result of what's happened. Um, I'm like, what do you what, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, dude. He goes, you're not going to walk again. I'm like, what? Like, what's like, like? But to be completely honest, that was probably one of the first days I started recovering. It was like, you know, I'm looking for, you know, what's wrong with me because I can't find answers and whatnot. So it's driving me crazy. Kind of waiting for something that's not going to come. Yeah, and then you know, I mean, put drugs in the mix as well. So it's not, and I'm on like pharmaceutical drugs as well from from the hospital to help with the pain spasms and whatnot. Um, so, but, but but up until that point, so thirteen months, at no point in time had the surgeon or someone from the hospital no. came in and said, "Look, there's complications. Nothing. You're not going to walk again. Nothing." When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It got taken to court and all the rest of it, which um, we were successful in, in our outcome. So we did prove... Fucking insane. Yeah. So the other part of that was, um, like, when we started getting all the reports and whatnot, we started obviously uncovering evidence that we as lay people have no ideas, like, oh, what the hell, are you serious or what? Um, and it was just like, you know, things became more apparent as, you know, as we kept digging. And in saying that as well, it was one of those 
bad benders I was on, I was like, you know, well, I need to get those scans from when I was in the army. So I got the scans, took them to a neurologist, and then the neurologist was like, when are these scans from? I'm like, 2014. He's like, you got tu- your tumours here. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, he goes, the radiologist missed the tumour. I was like, you're fucking kidding me. He's like, no, nah, man, there's the tumour. And honestly, if I could show you the picture, it's think of that there and a big black dot in the middle shouldn't be there. It should just be clear. Mm. And it's like, how the fuck? So if you were looking for it, you couldn't fucking miss it. It's your job. Yeah. It's your job. And it was like, but yeah, so there was like, and obviously, you know, for a long period, I was like, why me? Why me? But then I started, you know, turning the corner and I started, you know, getting a bit more positive, getting off the drugs. I was like, why not me? I was able to take things into my, you know, through my path and whatnot and, you know, being able to actually be grateful for my ability, abilities. It's unbelievable, man. It's such an, well, on one hand, it's the most devastating, unfair, just horrendous story. But on the other hand, it's such an inspiring story, especially how you've gone, how you continue to go about your life now. But are you, are you able to kind of give us an idea of like what the, for you personally, like what was the, aside from understanding that you, you're yeah. most likely not going to ever walk again, like what were some of the things that that were consuming you in terms of like what was the emotions kind of going through your head and, and the things that you were finding difficult mentally and then you factor in the fact that you, you, you are yeah. still using as well or, or starting to yeah. try and get off. So, I mean, that must have just been such a dark place. Yeah, so if you're watching the video, you'll see me spasming. These are the, you know, the lasting effects of... of belly, belly dancer. Shakira. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they're the, like, you know, the lasting effects. For instance, like walking just a part of it. And honestly, it's not even the most important part. So, mm-hmm. I was, like, I don't have bowel and bladder, so I'm completely incontinent. I shit myself, I piss myself. Um, you know, sexual function, I can get an erection, but I've got nothing else after that. I can't feel it, I can't ejaculate, um, which then obviously, you know, puts strain on my mental health of, you know, am I ever going to, you know, to please? Yeah. Which I'm a freak in the bed, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, yeah, so just things like that, that, you know, initially it was, I just want to walk, I just want to walk. That's what it was all about. But mm. as I kind of, you know, grew into my body, into my new life, it was like, I don't really care about walking. It's, you know, trying to, you know, eat healthy, train, so that way my bowel routine, you know, is in a better place. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously using drugs or anything like that, it, puts you backwards and that's what I was doing and you know my mentor Marcus like champion absolute champion he was the first bloke I met in the wheelchair and uh, he he really changed my outlook on how I saw life because it was like same thing not trying to find a cure and just when it happens they're going to make a lot of money of us so it, the cure is going to be out there it's not going to be you know some private secret that you, you need, like you need to go and search for which is what I was doing um, yeah. I mean, so little things like that, you know, throughout obviously the process, you know, to, to live and learn. Yeah, and so what are, what are some of the things that you would, you know, you wake up in the morning <coughs> yeah. and, you know, you consciously, as, as most people would understand so far in this episode, you're consciously making the decision <coughs> to focus on the positive things and, and focus on what you can control, which yeah. is such a powerful thing. And this is the other thing as well, you know, like uh, there'll be days where I'll be fucking whinging and talking mm-hmm. about certain things which which mean absolutely nothing yeah. and then all it takes is a bit of perspective but yeah. i think as well like for a lot of people listening this is like sorry to cut you off but i think right. the um thing that that a lot of people need to understand as well is like someone will watch or listen to this and go oh fuck i i don't mm. deserve to ever be able to complain again but it's, it's, i'm not saying that like people don't have their own problems or their own absolutely, issues because yeah, yeah, for yeah, them for sure. like the level of their it's issue fair, yeah, may right. feel the same level yeah. as what your issues are even yeah. though it's completely different but yeah. it's more so about 
how you use it then or what you then yeah. the actions you then take after that yeah. and that depends on whether or not you spend your whole fucking life sitting in misery and negativity mm-hmm, yeah. or you do something with it so like what you know waking up in the morning what was kind of like the thought process or were there certain things that you like consciously thought of yeah. or focused on or did to allow yourself to stay in some form of positivity and actually yeah. make some progress and focus on what you can control yeah def- look for me it starts the night before so about my bowel routine is the most important thing in my day so if I, if I can't empty my bowels in the morning I'm going to be stressing all that I'm going to shoot myself and that was, you know, early days, that's what it was because obviously really fresh. And for me to enter my bowels, it, <laughs> it's pretty invasive. Like I literally got to put fingers in my bum and, you know what I mean, and, and stretch my bum cheeks and, you know, pull my poo out. That's literally, that's how it happens. It's not, Insane. It's, it's not pretty, you know what I mean? And uh, as well, like uh, this is something that I found absolutely not fascinating is probably not the best word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, crazy is that like it takes like two hours for you mm. to to – Go to the bathroom yeah. in the morning, right? So if yeah. you know, this is the thing that I've that I've just take so much perspective from from getting to know you is that like every single thing that you do requires so much planning, structure, time, effort, yeah. time. Yeah. So it's like it takes how long does it take? Like your morning routine. So yeah, you were sorry, yeah. you were talking about the what yeah, you yeah. do the night before. So but yeah, yeah, so the morning routine. Look, in the beginning, it was five six hours on the toilet, man. It took forever. Like if I was like if I had an appointment, it would be like three four o'clock in the afternoon. Because I'll be ready by like one two o'clock. That's how long it would take. But now, same thing. Like you know, living, learning, like my new body, die and whatnot. It probably like the, to be you know fair and consistent. Probably forty five to an hour on the toilet, like as a max. Mm-hmm. But then breakfast, shower, get dressed. You know, I mean, let's say two hours. Where for a long time, you know, I mean, for a couple of years, it was two hours on the actual toilet as well. Yeah. Not you know, I mean, not doing where. I use a thing called uh, the peristine, which is if anyone's done a colonic irrigation, I literally like put a like a, a rectal catheter up there, pump the water through um, my bowel, and it empties that way, which is you know a lot better health wise. You know, not having to have heaps of medication, use um, suppositories or whatnot. So yeah, things have obviously evolved, and that's what you're meant to do in life, which you know has helped my day to day living, I guess. Mm. When we started training, I, th- I think by memory it was end of 2019. Or middle middle to the end of 2019. Yeah. Um. And I remember then, you know, as, as, you know, putting aside the the, the accomplish, accomplishments you've had with sport and and life and everything since then. But I, I remember then, like, we would we would get out, it would get you out of the chair onto a bench, and that would take us probably 15 to 20 right, minutes. Yeah. And and for you, it was physically like noticeably, it was physically extremely difficult and required yeah. a lot of effort. And and also almost like still trying to figure out exactly the, the, the smoothest process for you to, to be able to, to do sure. things as simple as that um, yeah. in the gym. Tell us about like the progress and some of the biggest areas that you've seen improvement, not not necessarily just from the gym, but in terms yeah. of just learning, yeah, yeah. you know, experience and whatnot in terms of just everyday stuff for you to be able to get through each day a lot smoother. Yeah, so for me, um, going to the gym, getting fit, all the rest of it has a lot of, you know, positive effects. So... One, obviously, you know, you train, you get good dopamine, all the rest of it. So, and then as I got stronger, I was able to, you know, transfer a lot better, you know, be have more finesse through it. Transferring to a bench, like, you know, as we're doing this morning, it's a lot easier now because I'm a lot stronger. As the day progresses and I'm getting tired, if I'm, you know, if I'm healthier, fitter, um, you know, transferring from the couch, which is always lower than, you know, to the wheelchair. All those little things there, if I'm like going to the gym and, you know, building up strength is, you know, that, yeah. that's where it's helped me big time. And that's that's massive, even pushing, like having the endurance to, you know, 
instead of pushing for, let's say, an hour, I can push for two hours now without any hiccups. I, I don't have to worry if there's a hill at the end of the street. That's fine. I can tackle the hill where beforehand it'll be like, mm, I've got to go back the other way. So mm. it's complete. It's massive, <coughs> man. Like it's it's apart from all the mental positivity and reinforcement, you know, staying away from the drugs has been purely from you know health, wellness, fitness, sport has you know all of that together has you know helped me stay away. Mm. The the last little bit I, I can't like this is the last time I want to kind of touch on the the drug side of it because I think it mm. obviously it is a big part of your story. Massive. What um. How long had you been in the chair for when you when you finally kind of got off for like the final time? Probably two years. Been in the chair for two years, and and what process did you follow, or what like what avenue did you go down to yeah, yeah. to get off it? Um, so Marcus, my mentor, as I mentioned earlier, he so the wheelchair AFL started up, and he was like, "Hey, Len, you know, it's this is happening. Why don't you come to the you know come and try day?" So I was like, "Oh yeah, cool." And it was over th- like over three weekends, so I missed the first one because I was on a bender. Uh, the second one, I couldn't. I was on a bender again. Um, and then when he rang me up, he's like, hey, man, like, where the fuck are you? I'm like, oh, bro, you wouldn't believe it. He's like, I don't care. Because I'm not ringing you up because I want to know what you did last night and why you didn't come to training. He goes, if you're not going to come, just fuck off because you're making me look bad. I was like, oh, he goes, he goes, don't fuck up what you did with soccer career again with, you know, this wheelchair career. He goes, it might not be as elite, but it's still an opportunity. Yeah. And that was the second last time I ever used. Um, so then um, I got drafted to St Kilda. I, I was playing my season and before I came to you, I was at another gym. And I explained to you know to the guys there. I said, "Look, th- this is my history. I'm four or five months clean, um, but I'm starting to feel the season's end coming." And I was like, "Getting worried about what's yeah." It, and I'm yeah. like, "Man, I'm starting to get the itch to go out and you know, and do something." So it was, you know, it come the last game of the season came, which was around September one, September two. That's when I used, um, and I was just like, after the get like after, after that, yeah. So yeah, the yeah. season's finished. Yep. So I stayed clean for six months, which is the longest I've ever done voluntary. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, it was just like when I when I when I hit it, I was just like, oh, what the fuck, man? That's yuck! I don't, like, what am I doing? Um, and that was yeah, it was the last time, which in sep- September one, two, three, something like that, is uh, will be four years. That's awesome. And something I've been kind of curious about is like, what would you from someone who who was on the other end where you're the one actually using and and trying mm-hmm. to get off and going through that process, and it doesn't necessarily have to be. Ice it could be anything. Yeah, yeah, of course. What um, what's your best advice for whether it's loved ones, family members, yeah. friends, mentors that are putting in the effort and that care enough to try and help yeah. the person that's suffering? Like, from your perspective, what did you find helped the most, or what do you think would have or or, or would help um someone yeah. that actually needs the help the most to the point where they're actually going to listen and they're going to appreciate it and they're going to do something with it? I think. From I did cold turkey four times over the years, and every time was when let's say mum or dad asked or my girlfriend, whoever it was always I was doing it for someone else, and that's purely why it never worked. I never did it for me. Um, so you know, obviously, you know, you love whoever it may be. You just got to be there for them. Don't judge. Don't do anything like that because that's what's going to drive them away. Which happened. And look, as a as a you know as a as an addict, you do a lot of dumb shit. Um, you know, and you break a lot of relationships and whatnot. So it is hard to, you know, stay intact with those type of people. However, it needs to come from the user, whoever's struggling themselves. It's not something that you can't push them into a corner. So, you know, one example, my mum and dad sent me overseas for eight, nine months. Um, I was over there in Turkey, training, working, living like an absolute legend. And time was, you know, coming home. 
I kept the hundred and fifty dollars and I went to my dealer's house as soon as I landed and I got back on it. So I was always, you know, I removed myself from the situation, never actually solved the situation mm-hmm. where, um, you know, and just, I guess the chair was, you know, like the double-edged sword for me where the silver lining, you know, a shit situation becoming better. It was, that was just what I needed. Sort of like another lease on life. Yeah, yeah. It's like the universe said, Len, you mean, you fucked up royally. We're going <laughs> to give you another opportunity with, you know, a few things different. Let's see how you take it. And that's just, you know, my, I guess, my ethos on life is just look for the positives. 100%. And then yeah, in the last couple of years in particular, um, you've managed to, to achieve some fucking awesome things yeah, and probably things that early days you would never have even considered, um, you know, that are part of your kind of path in life. But are you able to share a bit about like the, that, that kind of experience over the last few years with Invictus and, and even with the AFL side yeah, of stuff sure, and, and now kind of pursuing basketball as a, as, as a new passion and something yep. you're going to really work on? So it started with... Um, with uh, wheelchair footy so playing for St Kilda we uh, won the flag it was I think COVID had just hit and then we got um, out of lockdown again so we ended up winning the flag for that I'd done four Spartan races which which is not just me it's a whole bunch of um, you know guys and girls coming together you know, tackling obstacles over you know over 10 kilometres over four hours like absolutely epic and it's you know and just so everyone knows that's on the exact same course that an able yeah. body would be doing yeah. too, yeah, which is even more fucking impressive. Yeah, it is. And it's, like I said, there's – and that's what, like, it really taught me um, people, you know I mean, how important we can all be for each other. So it's not just me benefiting, it's the rest of the crew as well, the people cruising past, everyone clapping, like, you get a really good sense, like, a really good vibe from seeing that, you know I mean? It, it pumps me up and it pumps everybody else up. So it's, a, like, it's – fucking great man yeah it's so good being able to you know do that for someone and for someone to do that to me and that's for free that's just going and yeah. doing something that's just an effort that's rocking up showing up whatever it may be man um and then yeah like invictus we just got back from uh holland uh, a couple of months ago and so it was meant to be 2020 obviously COVID, so then it got postponed 2021, then it got postponed 2022, and it was like, and then the war started, it was like, oh, fuck, are we actually going to get mm. there? And for those that don't know what Invictus actually is, yep. I think majority would, but can yeah. you just explain the, the rules around how that whole process yeah, yeah. is and so how it's selected? Yeah, Prince Harry uh, started the Invictus Games in order to help um, serving and veterans for the military. So you've got um, half your team will be serving and half your team will be veterans. So it ranges from a diff, like a range of disability from post traumatic stress um, to you could have a bung shoulder. So that way, you know, I mean, you, you can't hold the bike uh, like an upright bike up. So you use a recumbent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know you got people like myself with, with myself with spinal cord injury, and it goes on a um, on a point system like a three, two, and a one. So let's mm-hmm. say someone who's Really severity of their yes. physical injury. So yeah. someone that who's really able will be a three-pointer. Someone who's missing a leg might be a two-pointer. And then someone like myself will be a one-pointer. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's fair in the regards of you can't just put your best players out there. You've got to mix yeah. it up because you, know, you need to reach a certain amount of points or you can't exceed a certain amount of points for basketball, rugby or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, so from there it... Yeah, so Prince Harry started the games for, you know, to, I guess, get people back into believing in themselves. And, you know, while we're over there, Netherlands being the host nation, there was a, I don't know, a movie that they created that went on for about 10 minutes. You know, and in that period there, my partner Alicia, she was with me and I started crying. She's like, what's up? I'm like, fuck, I'm so happy. She's like, what are you, like, why? I'm like, I've just, like, right now, everything has just hit me on how hard I've actually trained 
you know, what I've been through, all the difficulties, everything was right then and there, just it really hit me. Where as your life, you forget about what you do. You know what I mean? It's not, you know I mean? You train four days a week. You train four days a week. You don't remember every week, oh, my God, I train four days a week. It's look how good I am. And especially being locked down here for that two years, um, you know, you, you and I, how many times we couldn't get the sessions because out of the radius and whatnot. So, and I trained a lot on my own. So mm. I never thought, am I improving? Am I, you know what I mean? I had no one to compare myself to. Yep. Um, you know, and luckily I had a few good mates that lived close by, so would, you know, would go for rides. So they'll be on uprights and I'll be on my hand cycle. And, you know, trying to keep up with people with their legs, it's not that easy. And, it's, yeah. you know what I mean, so <laughs> it kind of, you know, it had that, um, the illusion of, you know, doing well, but not realising how well you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, so it, you know, it, yeah, it was, what a, yeah, it was epic, man. That's, un- that's unreal, man. And so well-deserved. What, what, um, what did you compete in there? Yeah, so um, I did hand cycling. I did rowing on a erg machine. Shit sport. <laughs> um, rugby and basketball. Fucking sounds like it. Oh my god, man! My neck got such a workout in that. It was ah, oh. <laughs> but yeah. So it was like, and that's like even with rowing, like you need to get a um, like a, a special chair that like literally locks me in. It. It's fifteen hundred bucks. Like I'm not going to go spend fifteen hundred dollars on something that I'm probably not going to do again. But how do you train for it then? Yeah, it's really hard. Like yep. There's only so many so many rowing exercises that we can do that's actually yeah. going to replicate yeah. what you need to practice. Yeah, um, same thing. Hand cycling. I went and bought a hand cycle um, like a few years ago, which was good because you know we do the casual rides and whatnot. And then same thing, wheelchair basketball and rugby. We weren't having any team trainings here in Melbourne, um, so it was you know go to the basketball court and shoot. And I'm a shit shot. I've never played basketball. It's like it's not my sport. It was. I mean, and I'm shooting, and I don't know why I'm shooting shit because I've never shot before. Yeah, you've got no one there to correct yeah. flaws and, and changes in technique and yeah. give feedback. 100%, man. So it was very difficult. And then leading up to, obviously, once things like we got out of lockdown and whatnot, we had uh, some training camps, which, you know, I attended a couple, and then the last few that we were meant to have are in Sydney, and all the floods happened. So where we were staying, the accommodation got completely flooded. Oh. So we had no lead-up. Yeah. So we got there, like, let's say third, fourth game, we started gelling. And mm. third, fourth game of proper competition. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Not, not the time to be gelling, you know, but that was just the... And we, look, other obviously countries probably had a difficult um, beginning as well, but that's just, that's how it was. It is what it is, yeah. Yeah, you can't change that. So what's next, man? Like in terms of competition-wise and what you're aspiring to physically, what, are you, what have you got in your sights for, say, the next kind of three to five years? Yeah, so... Look, I'll be 37 this year, so there's no, um, I guess, no illusion that I'm getting a little bit older. And the fact that I've never played basketball prior to the chair is obviously something else that's going to have a massive um, detriment to what I'm trying to achieve. So I want to get into the Paralympics for basketball. And I know it's very far, but I need to have that dream or want to have that dream because in 10 years' time, I don't want to say, shit, man, I wish I tried. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wish I gave it a go. Maybe I could have. Um, you know, your mate Yannick, who's, you know, very similar injury, injury to me. I have a look at this bloke online, I was like, wow, proper weapon. And he's younger. I was like, yeah. I've got no hope, man. But you know what? It's a dream and dreams are there to have, yeah. you know what I mean, and to try and you know, to try and find it. So we for Invictus, our basketball team didn't do like didn't do that well. But the training I was doing with the VIS boys um, prior yeah. improved me heaps improved me so much so I was thought like I, I saw a lot of um a lot of growth in that short two-month period to um when I got back I was like you know what I'm gonna give it a give go it a crack yeah so that's you know I'm up 5 a.m you know three days a week to try and get the basketball at MSAC which 
for someone with spinal cord injury who deals with neuropathic pain and a lot of spasm, it's not that easy, man. No, especially this time of the year when it's oh, cold it's as so fuck. cold, yeah. And uh, you're also recently engaged to your partner, Alicia, as well, which Ooh. is which is awesome. So congratulations. It actually started from this podcast. My um, my cousin's wife, Rachel, she shared the podcast on her story. Oh, uh, you're welcome. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah this bloke. <laughs> Um, yeah, so she shared the podcast on her story and her and Alicia were mates. That's awesome. Yeah, so then Alicia's done a bit of a stalk on me, as she should. <laughs> and uh, she's like, who's this dude in the wheelchair? You know I mean, like, I'm, you know, she was whinging about same COVID blues, you know what I mean? Putting yeah. a little bit away, yeah. you know, her business and whatnot. All the, all the struggles, which was very real for everybody. Um, you know, she sent me a message saying, you know, I really love what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Da, da, da. Listen to the podcast. She's like, fuck, this guy's hilarious and good looking. So you're welcome <laughs> to, Alicia. <laughs> I yeah, can't remember that bit, but anyway, yeah. It's, it's all made up. But yeah, I, I, I proposed to her um, a couple, a few months ago. Proper epic fail on, on the proposal. Fell out of my wheelchair. <laughs> had spasms. I nearly snapped my ankle in the process. But yeah, <laughs> it was... Um, Got the job done. Yeah, it was perfectly imperfect. Yeah, yeah. love it, man. Well, um, I'm glad we got done. We did the second one because um, it, was, it was good to dive into some of the stuff. And I think, yeah. again, like the... Anyone who tunes in, whether it's, you know, on iTunes, Spotify, uh, YouTube, wherever it is, I think we'll just get so much value out of it. And um, yeah. if anything, just I think perspective is the biggest thing. Like I said, it's just Massive. it's just always like a bit of an eye-opener um, for perspective. But then so much uh, inspiration from you as well, just in terms of, like I've said earlier in this show, just the positivity and the um, the accountability and, and, you know, just the way you see everything is, is awesome, man. So you should be, yeah, so proud of yourself. But yeah. A lot of that is, like, I was doing mentoring, right? So, and I'd mentor at the two spinal cord hospitals. So, and this might, whoever's listening, might be something to take forward and to do something yourself if you're looking for whatever you're looking for. So I would go mentor at the two spinal cord hospitals where there's a lot of young blokes and girls that have got quadriplegia, know, spinal cord injury, paraplegia, whatever it may be. So, and I'd go there, and I remember one of the old blogs was like, oh, lucky you're not as bad as then. I was like, what are you trying to say? You're better than me because you can walk. He's like, no, no, I'm like, well, that's just what you said. So, and then I was like, how do I look at that? And it was like, what am I grateful for? I mean, my hands, my eyes, my brain. Mm. Um, you know, little things like that is, I guess, where I find a lot of my positive nature of not looking for, you know, the whinge and the shit stuff. Mm. And finding the positive. Any crap situation always has a positive. Always reach for the positives. Always, yeah. man. Because that's only going to make things even more positive. Where if you concentrate on the negative, what happens? You go into the blues and it's crap. Yeah, it just continues to roll on and, and yeah. manifest into something worse. Man, thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Looking forward to our to our session again next week, brother. Can't wait, um, and for everyone who's tuned in, uh, we really hope you have enjoyed the conversation. Again, whether you're watching it or listening to it, uh, if you think someone that you know can value from listen can benefit from listening to this, we'd love for you to share it. Um, I'll have the links to to Lenny's socials in the show notes, so you can keep up with his journey and um, over the next few years and, and suss out some of the training he's been doing and, and everything. But again, man, thank you and all the best for for the future. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Oh,